in uh, Exodus 15, starting in verse 22. So take out your Bibles or your devices. And uh, I've been asked to introduce myself, which I <laughs> feel a little awkward about. But my name is Nathan. Uh, I'm one of the uh, worship leaders here and, uh, and new life group leader. So it's good to, uh, I guess, introduce myself. I'd love to meet you if I haven't yet. So hopefully you found your way to Exodus 15, verse 22. We'll be reading through chapter 17 today. Exodus 15, 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log. And he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. And there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. Then they came to Elam, where, they were, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked towards the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew laid around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall take each other an omer according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. 
But when they measured it with an omer, whatever, uh, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning, they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. An omer is tenth part of an epith. Chapter 17. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and the water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Today I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. While Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill, 
Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed the Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner, saying a hand upon the throne of the Lord, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. All right. Thank you, Nathan, for taking on that huge task. I don't think I can reiterate enough how much we should all be thankful for people that are reading instead of me, because that would have taken me ages. Anyways, um, you guys ready to get started this morning? Yeah? Excellent. Me too. Still nervous as all get out, but I'm excited. Uh, just a quick recap. Over the past couple Sundays, we've, we've talked about the crossing of the Red Sea. Uh, Brandon tackled that one in... Then JT last week talked about um, Moses' song of worship at the beginning part of chapter 15, really the first three quarters of chapter 15. And in that, JT really emphasized um, that we have a God of love and a God of war. He emphasized that he, this God of love and this God of war not only desires to be corporately worshipped and known, but also intentionally gave us his name, gave us his personal name of Yahweh. Because not only does he want to be corporately known and corporately worshipped, but he wants to be known personally and individually for, to each and every one of us who are found in him. He emphasized that in the knowing, the desire to be known that he gives us characteristics of himself so that we can understand and know him deeper and deeper. And so this morning, as we walk through Exodus 15 through 17, my desire is that through this process, through the study of the accounts, that we'll get to know this God of love, this God of war, this God of justice at a deeper level. So that we understand how we can not only know him in confidence better, but also that in our relationship with him, we can walk in confidence, that we can rest, and that our hearts can be at peace because of who he is. So before we really dive into this, if you all would just please bow with me and just go before the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. humbly thankful for who you are. I thank you for being a God that is unchanging. I, I thank you for being a God that is faithful, that is steadfast, and that is long-suffering. God, you are a good and awesome God. I pray that this morning, regardless of my nerves or my ability, that your name would be proclaimed, that you would be glorified this morning. I pray that you would give me clarity to communicate what you've taught me 
through the study of this passage. And I pray that you just tune all of our hearts to hear what you have said and to apply it to our lives. That this would not be a morning of growing and, and just knowledge, but that you would utilize your word to just change our hearts so that we may walk in a manner that glorifies and honors your name. We trust you. We love you, Lord, in your name. Amen. So, in the reading of Exodus 15:22 through 17:16, we see that there's actually four main stories or four main accounts that have been noted in that passage. And we've got the experience at Mora. We've got the manna and the quail. We've got the water from the rock, and we've got the battle of Amalek. Those are the four accounts that are noted through this passage. So what I've done is, just like I did last time, I went through and I studied each passage. And I'll walk you through kind of my exegesis of each one of those uh, accounts. And then after, we're going to take what we see in those accounts, and we're going to bring it into a New Testament context. How do those accounts apply to my life personally? How can we walk this out? How does this change things? So that's what we're going to do initially. I do have a couple little side trails, but that's going to be kind of the main concept of what we're doing here this morning. So we've got Mora in chapter 15, and we see that in Mora, or as Israel comes up to this, this body of water, honestly, probably parched from singing the song of praise that JT was talking about last week. They're, they're thirsty. I mean, I'm not much of a singer, but when I do, it only takes a few seconds before I'm thirsty, right? So they come up to this, and they're bending down, and they're trying to get a, a drink of water, take a sip and instantly spit it out because they realize this water is not drinkable. Which is why it's called Mora because it means bitter water. Now this is where my side notes come in. If we look at, if you would just open with me to 15, chapter 15, verse 26, or I guess end of 25, There the Lord made them a statue and a rule, and there he rested them, or he tested them, saying, if you diligently listen to my voice, to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Now, This is not what I want the main focus of chapter 15 to be, but I do feel it is something that needs to be said for for us. We see the Lord tell Moses to give the commandment to the people and, and that the Lord tests his people. And he says to diligently listen to my voice and to diligently keep my commandments. The reason I feel like it's something that needs to be said is because how often... Do we not remember? Why is it important for us to remember? It's important 
Because just like Israel shows up after directly singing a song of praise to God for his miraculous work in bringing them to freedom from Egypt. And it wasn't even according to the account. It was almost simultaneously that they show up to the water and they instantly started grumbling towards Moses and Aaron. That's why Scripture instructs us to renew our minds daily. Because we as mankind so quickly forget and so easily get distracted. We go from a song of praise to sulking. We go from honoring and glorifying him with our lives to being disgruntled and disobedient because we didn't get the outcome we liked. This is a a call, it's, it's something that we can take from this passage, it's a call to continually do this. For, for us as a New Testament believer, we're not remembering the exodus from the Red Sea, but, but we're, what we have the privilege of remembering is what Christ has done on the cross on our behalf. To constantly be renewing our minds. That we've been set free from the bondage of sin and death, and he's given us a new life. And to be reminded of that, I would strongly suggest and feel confident in saying that it is energized by being in the Word daily. Without being in the Word daily, we get distracted and, and we lose our, our perspective on who God is and who we are in Him. So I'll get off my little soapbox now and we'll just continue with the exegesis of the scripture chapter 16 we see the account of manna and quail there's a couple of things that I I took from this passage as I studied it one and I believe probably the most important one the provider is more important than the provision We can trust God to faithfully provide for our needs. We also see in this account that that God provided for their needs, but he did not obligate himself to provide for all of their wants. We see that that in this passage, this account of the manna and the quail, we, we see that they were given specific instruction on how much to take. What was it an, an Omer, I think that's what it was called, which was the equivalent of about a gallon per person. And they were instructed to collect this for the six days. If you collected more, it would rot and have worms in it, and it would stink. If you collected too little, the account says that they did not want meaning he provided enough to sustain them. Something that we can take from this is that mankind in their own power 
or relying on their own power. We see in the collection of the more food, them trying to sustain themselves. We see that the provision was removed. This reminds me of in Romans when it says, your righteous acts are like dirty rags. Our ability in and of ourselves to provide salvation is insufficient. It's one of the things that God is amplifying here is he's saying, I will provide for you, but understand you can't do it yourself. I've given you the rules. I've given you the the stipulations. You will gather this much per day and it will sustain you. I will use it to energize you, to heal you through this process of being in the wilderness. But if you think that you can sustain yourself outside of my means of provision, it's going to be insufficient. It will rot. I will remove it from you. Now, in this action, we see that God is amplifying his ability and his desire to provide a way for salvation for the people of Israel. And yet, he is simultaneously reminding them of their current condition. That without dependence in faith on him, for his provision each morning, the outcome is death. For us, we are to demonstrate our trust in in God through our faith and obedience to him. With our desire that through our lives, in humble submission and obedience, we are reflections of him, that we are ambassadors of him to all those looking around, that they see the gospel as they look on into our lives. That the hope and the restoration, the peace and the rest is found in one person, in the person of Christ. Another thing, as I read this account, it just kept returning to my mind. And it's actually a a little one-liner my dad came up with, and he's really good at them. I am not, but he's incredible when it comes to these things. And he says this, it says, prayer is a recognition of God's authority. Thankfulness is a recognition of God's character. I'll say it one more time. Prayer is a recognition recognition of God's authority. Thankfulness is a recognition of God's character. We see Israel going to Moses, asking Moses, hey, can you please intercede for us? Can you please mediate for us? Can you represent us before God? Because we're going to die out here. We need food. We need water. It would have been better for us to stay in Egypt. Please, On our behalf, go before God. Moses goes before God. The people are using him as their mediator, recognizing that he is the one who is in authority to change their circumstances. 
And Moses, in humble submission, goes before God, recognizing that it is not he, but God, who can change their circumstances. And he goes before them, or he goes before God, and, and he petitions for the people of Israel. So we see the recognition of God's authority, but God provides. The people of Israel don't have a heart of thankfulness because they don't know him. They don't know God in his character. So I would challenge and exhort you guys and myself even as we walk through life that we would not only in recognition of God's authority pray to him and consistently submit ourselves to his authority but do so with an attitude of thankfulness. Because in that attitude of thankfulness it's a recognition that God is who he says he is and he will do what he says he's going to do. Chapter 17, we see the account of water from the rock. They finally get to a place where they can all kind of disperse out. They all have sources of water. Except for one. So naturally they go before Moses and they're like, hey, yo, no water. They start their grumbling. Not only to Moses, and Moses is like, look, Lord, it's getting pretty heated. They're about to stone me. Like, what do I do? I, I can't change the scenario. They have no water. And they're about to stone me for it. So God says, take your staff, the one that you hit the Nile with, you walk before the people with some of the elders, and you go and you hit a rock. So he does so. He hits a rock. And out of that rock comes drinkable water. Some cool, quick little connotations. The rock is a representation of Christ. The cornerstone. And out of that cornerstone, what happens? Oh yeah, living water. Now we go to the, the battle of Amalek. Amalek was a descendant of Esau. So this, this attack was coming not because, hey, there's some Israelites, let's go attack them. It was coming out of a, a bloodline and birth birthright dispute going all the way back to Esau and Jacob when Jacob took the birthright and took the blessing it was game on it was revenge we also look at this and we're going okay well wait time out we've got a set nation and then a bunch of slaves it's like a peewee football team against a pro football team Just it, it doesn't make sense Amalek should have wiped out Israel. No problem. But God asked Moses to, to function in obedience, in faith, and he says, raise your staff. When you're raising your staff, when you're interceding for the people, Joshua is going to prevail. When your hand falls, Amalek's going to prevail. And so in this process, we see a couple men come and help prop his arm up like, dude, come on, come on, Moses, you got this. You know what? You need me to help hold? Let's do this. 
And, and through the process, we see the Israelites and Joshua prevail. Amalek was defeated by a bunch of slaves. Now, in these four accounts, it's a lot of quick information. They're all very cool stories. Each one of them has their little tidbits. And honestly, when I first started writing this sermon, I was like, JT, why do you do this to me? Each account we could have an entire sermon on, but you put all four in one. Like, that is just not kind. But I am so thankful he did. Because as I studied through this, as I processed through this, as I looked to the Lord to teach me, he taught me some incredible things through these four accounts. And this is the fun part where I get to share with all of you what the Lord taught me. For a New Testament believer, the New Testament connotations, the applicable to life connotations that are found in this passage are amazing and encouraging. They bring my heart not only joy, but they bring me peace and rest. As I studied through this passage, there was... Right at 1526, that verse that we read at the beginning, he, he says, I will put none of these diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. The name, or one of the names of God, and I know this might be a little bit confusing because last week JT preached and preached and preached saying God's personal name is Yahweh and he's 100% correct it's Yahweh but as I studied this I discovered another name of God it's Jehovah Rapha which means I am the Lord the one who heals and it is also fully his name just like my name is actually Anthony I go by Tony. The Thai people had two different names for me. One being Noom, which means tender heart, because I went hunting with one of the villagers, and every sparrow he shot, I tried to resuscitate. <laughs> and the other name, and I, it's called Poopy Patsa, which sounds terrible, but it meant the judge, because I was born with these lovely bad boys. If I'm not smiling, I look like I'm thinking of very awful things. It's actually a running joke with the guys I work with. But a better example is the person of Jesus Christ. We call him Jesus, but we also call him our counselor, our healer, our brother, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. They are all names that magnify different characteristics of people. So I learned a new name of God, Jehovah Rapha, the one who heals. And we see through this entire process from Mora all the way to the battle with Amalek, we see that God this entire time is healing and sustaining his people. Whether it's making bitter water turn sweet 
whether it's providing honey cakes from the dew in the morning to having a whole flock, or as Tori would say, a herd of birds come for meat. To allowing a bunch of slaves defeat a well-trained and powerful army. He's been healing, reconciling, and providing for them this entire time. Some other things, and this, this is the part that just blew my mind. So in each one of these stories, each one of these accounts, Did you know that Christ is still the center of every one of those stories? That each one of those accounts is still about him in some form or fashion? Or pointing towards him? We got Mora, bitter water. Moses, the intercessor, a type of Christ, goes before God and says, what do I do? Your people cannot partake of the water that will give them life. God says, take that dead tree. When you look at the prophecies of Christ, he will, the man who hangs on a tree, he takes that dead tree and he throws it in the water and that water goes from being bitter water to sweet water. So now his people can partake of the living water. We see manna bread of life there's only one way to take it by faith faith that he will provide for you we see water from the rock like I alluded to earlier the better cornerstone and life giving water coming from that stone We see the battle of Amalek where Moses is the intercessor. The one that holds his hand over his people. And as he does, his people can now prevail against overwhelming odds. How this applies to us, church, guess what? Christ is our intercessor. Jesus is the better Moses. We have a high priest, which Moses functioned in that role until the law was set, but we have a mediator, a high priest, an intercessor whose hand never tires on our behalf. He holds his hand over us, allows us to partake of the life-giving water and the bread of life, and says, these are my people. Because of who I am, because I am the God who heals, the God who reconciles, the God who restores, because that is who I am, these are my people, and they can walk in victory. They can walk in freedom. They can walk in life. 
Not that it will be easy for crying out loud. We saw them in a battle. They're starving in a wilderness. They're thirsty. But for us today, under the new covenant, we have a better high priest. We have a better water. We have a better covenant, church. That we are in, under freedom and under his grace. Actually, gonna get a drink of water because I'm thirsty. So as as we walk through these accounts, I hope that that you see that not only is God Yahweh the Great I Am. But that he is also Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. That he is also Jehovah Rapha, the one who heals. I hope that you see that just as Moses was the intercessor for the people of Israel to God, he represented, we'll see in a couple weeks, that Moses represents the nation of Israel and he walks up the mountain. But then he comes down representing God on the way down to the people. That now in our relationship, we have an intercessor who does this. And as we look to him, we never have to wonder if his hand has fallen. He is seated in the heavenlies in victory at the right hand of God. He has interceded us fully. It says his work is finished. There's nothing that we have to wonder about. As his children, we can walk in confidence in victory even in our failure, that we know our God claims us as his own, just like it says in Romans, that nothing can remove us from the love of God. As I was studying this, I I came across Psalms 103, verses 3 through 5, and I'll just read that to you. It said, Who forgives all your iniquity who heals all your disease, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you in steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like eagles. Like church, what a beautiful picture of who God is. That he desires to be known so deeply that he shows us his character. That he proclaims, I am the one who heals you. I am the one who sustains you. That he proclaims, I am. What, what a beautiful and glorious God. I am awestruck time and time again as I renew my mind in Scripture. And I'm reminded of the miraculous work that Christ has done on my behalf. So often I sit there and I go, geez, Israel, what, what the world? You just experienced the 10 plagues. 
He destroyed the entire army of Egypt. He allowed you to walk through the Red Sea on dry land. He's provided quail, water, and bread for you in the wilderness. And here you are grumbling. Pathetic much? And yet I have something so much more incredible to celebrate. So much more amazing to renew my mind with. It wasn't a chasm of the Red Sea. It was a chasm of eternity that I could not cross. And he said, I've made a way, Tony. I'm not just known corporately. I'm known personally. And I made a way for you to know me personally. And it's through the person of Jesus Christ. Who is the better intercessor. The better high priest. The living water. The healer. And I want you to know him. So renew your mind. Spend time in my word to get to know me. Allow your your heart and your mind to be tuned to who I am and what I've done on your behalf. Because what I've done is absolutely amazing. Old Testament is pretty fun, huh? It's not just a bunch of cool stories. It's a bunch of real life application of what it looks like to be a child of God. It's God revealing himself to his children so that we don't have to wonder like Israel did, who is this God? He gave us his word so we could know him. Church, as we uh, wrap up this morning, I, I actually wanted to read a passage that I pray over myself, over my wife, my children, and all of you. So if you would, please bow with me, but hear it as a prayer. I'm actually stealing it from the Apostle Paul, because he's Paul. But yeah, if we, if we could just go ahead and bow before the Lord. For this reason, I bow to my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height and the depth and to know that the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever amen Church, we're going to be uh, celebrating together with communion.
here in a moment. JT will be coming up. I want you to just take this time to remember. To remember what Christ has done on our behalf. That he has reconciled mankind to him. That we have the privilege to partake of the life-giving water. That he intercedes on our behalf. And with a heart of thankfulness, remember that he is who he says he is. He is a God of love, a God of war, a God of justice. And he is ours. I love you, church. I'll be over there if anyone needs prayer.